Good morning. Thank you, Praise Team, for leading us today. New things. Do you believe that God is making you into a new creation? Today we talk about the mystery of the new self. That in Christ Jesus we are a new creation. Tony Campolo tells the story of being in a train station in London, England. And as they were leaving the train station, uh, they were in a, in a compartment. It was a train with compartments. And the two gentlemen that joined him, he began to, to observe that they were, uh, they were good friends. They were, uh, one was American and one was British. And as they, he began to understand and get to know them, he discovered that they were, had, had served together, uh, one of the British Army, one in the U.S. Army, uh, in Vietnam. And as they had left the train station, about 10, 10 minutes outside of London, the gentleman from the soldier, the, the former soldier from Great Britain, began to seize. He went into convulsions, and he fell out of his chair and into the aisle, into the, into the compartment there, and began to go into a, a serious convulsion. Well, his friend calmly took the newspaper that was in his lap, he rolled it up, and he placed it in his friend's mouth so that his friend would not convulse and bite his tongue, but so that there would be a guard, a cushion in there. After a few moments, his friend uh, began to come out of that and began to, to rest, and, and uh, his, his, as you can imagine, his body went limp from the, the strain of the convulsion, and his friend helped him up onto the seat began to comfort him and nurture him and get him something to drink, put his jacket around him so that he could, he could be warm. And the American looked across at Campolo and said, let me tell you our story. We were in combat situation together and a grenade came in and exploded in our midst. It, it blew off my leg and he pulled up his pant leg and he, he showed him his prosthesis. He said, I was, was bleeding to death, and, and my friend here, the grenade literally tore half of his chest off, and he had shrapnel that had gotten inside of his chest, and with every breath that he breathed, it was, it was painful and excruciating. With every movement that he made, it was great and intense pain. And as we laid there waiting for help to come, we saw the helicopter in the distance coming towards us. And as the helicopter approached, it became the target of the enemy, and the helicopter went down in an explosion. And I assumed we were just there to die. And my friend, with the excruciating pain, every breath, every movement that he made was filled with pain. He would cry out, he would scream out, but he stood up. And he grabbed me by the collar, and he began to drag me through the jungle to find a place of safety and of aid. And with every step, he screamed and he yelled because of the intense pain. And I said, leave me here. Leave me to die. Save yourself. And my friend wouldn't have anything with it. He drug me through the jungle until we found help. He said, about a year and a half ago, I got word that my friend had begun to have seizures convulsions as a result of his, his injuries as he was growing older, and that he needed 24-hour care. When I heard of this, I sold my New York City condo, 
I sold my car, I sold everything that I needed to sell, and I moved to be with him and to care for him. Convulsions haven't been so bad. In fact, this is the, the first seizure he's had in about two and a half months. But someone needs to be with him all the time, just in case. Campolo looked across and he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm a preacher and, and this is a really great story that I can tell. And the soldier looked at him and he said, well, don't be too impressed with me. He said, this man gave his life for me. There's nothing that I wouldn't do for him. What about you? What about you in your relationship with Christ? True or false, becoming a Christian results in radical life change. Becoming a Christian means you sell the condo, you sell the car, and you give your life to following and nurturing a new life that has been given to you. Well, Brother Wade, you know, I was, I was just a young child when I gave my life, and so there really wasn't a, a radical transformation in my life. We'll get there in a minute, but Paul's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to Gentiles who've converted in, in Ephesus and in other parts of, the, of, of that geographic area. People that have come out of a Gentile Greek culture that was idolatrous, that had so many different religions and gods and pursuits of pleasure and he's saying to those that are reading this, this letter to the church at Ephesus, do you not understand that becoming a Christian, particularly as an adult, as a young man, as a young woman, as a teenager, results in radical life change? We, we've lost somehow this conversation, this celebration of conversion of coming to faith and leaving an old way of life and becoming this new creation that we sang about, this new creature that we sang about in Christ Jesus. Does becoming a Christian result in radical life change? I believe it does. But for those of you that, that say, well, I, was, I grew up in the church and I grew up with Christian parents that loved and, and nurtured me. Maybe this is a better question for you, true or false. Being a Christian results in a radical break with the culture in which we live. Is your life look just like everybody else's life? Are you a follower of Christ and yet your, your relationships look like everybody else's relationships? Your pursuits look like everybody else's pursuits? Or is there something different is there something different about the way you live your life and the way you interact and relate to, to, to people, the way you work and engage in culture? I think Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus and those that would read his letter, when you become a Christian, there is a noticeable break in difference with the way that you act and interact with the world in which we live. So this morning, let's dive into, if you, if you would, the, the mystery of the new self, of the new creation that we are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, excuse me, 4 verse 1 says it this way. 
that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. To walk in the manner worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ. Now we've just come through these first three chapters of the book of Ephesians very doctrinally and theologically focused on, on important, complex issues like predestination, like salvation, like what does it mean that God became man? And now, as we saw last week at the end of chapter 3, Paul paused for a, a brief prayer and a, a brief blessing, benediction. And when he comes back here in what we call chapter 4, verse 1, there's a, a noticeable change in difference. Paul is moving from doctrinal theological focus to a focus on just the practical way in which we live and the way we walk in faith and in life. You see, the church was surrounded by the Gentile culture. The church at Ephesus was, were, was made up of Gentiles who had come out of that culture and had come to know Christ in a new way. And Paul is exhorting, he's teaching them, he's helping them to understand that the way they live now is different, is radically different than the way they used to live as Gentiles. Now they are followers of Christ. Now they are in Christ Jesus. And the way we live in Christ Jesus is different from the way that we live in the world and in the culture around us. In verses 17 through 19, he simply says it this way, no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. And he goes on to describe the walk of the Gentiles in verses 17 through 19. He says the walk of the Gentiles is characterized by a futility of mind. Well, well what does that mean? A futility of mind means we engage our mind in folly, we, in foolishness. We, we engage our mind in, in, in distractions that really don't mean anything. We engage our minds in emptiness, in things that are pointless. And the way of the life of the Gentile is that we focus our mind and our lives on things that really don't matter. Can you relate to that? Do you understand that walk of the Gentiles? It's not about a mind of Christ. It's about this futile mind. He goes on and he says the way of the Gentiles is the way of darkened understanding. For the Gentiles, light was gone from their understanding. The Gentile might say, well, you know what? This is my truth. And, and because this is my truth, I can live my life however I want to. The darkened understanding of the Gentile meant that they were no longer capable of understanding the truth of God. How many times have we heard that today in our culture? Well, you know, this is my truth. You have your truth, I have my truth. And you can have your truth and, and, and do whatever you want to, but just don't impinge upon my truth and the way I want to live and the way that I want to express my life. Again, the mind of the Gentile, the walk of the Gentile is a darkened understanding as in contrast to what Paul has already introduced to the Gentile in Ephesians 1 verse 18 where he says this, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Uh, 
so that you may know. Paul is contrasting the way of the, the Gentile believer, the, the Christ follower, is that your, your heart and your mind are being enlightened by God so that we can have understanding. We can have wisdom and knowledge. But this is not the walk of the Gentile. He goes on and says, the walk of the Gentile is characterized by being excluded from the life of God. These Gentiles were separated from God. They were separated from fellowship and relationship with Him as they pursued their own gods, as they pursued their own pleasures. They were excluded from God's grace and from His direction and His truth in life. And he goes on to talk about their ignorance. And isn't it interesting, when we think of ignorance and when we would think of people ignorant before God, we would say, well, there, there's an innocence in ignorance, right? They're, 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 they have to be innocent if they're ignorant. But Paul is careful here to help us to understand that ignorance leads to a hardness of heart. I think it was last week we talked about revelation and how God has revealed himself to us through creation so that, that none of us are without excuse. That there is a God and that God is revealing himself to us through his creation. And yet Paul here says that, that those who walk in the way of the Gentile are excluded from the life of God and their ignorance and their hardness of heart continues to separate them from God and they will stand guilty before God in their ignorance because ignorance is not innocence. The walk of the Gentile is characterized by callousness. A callousness that refers to a lack of moral feeling. They're morally numb. You know what a callus is like when you get them on your hand or on your foot. You can rub them, you can scratch them, and there's, there's no feeling there. And in, in a lot of ways, they, they protect the skin underneath. But in, in this situation and experience, your, your heart and your life and your mind become callous to God, excluded from God, numb to God. And so because this part of your life is numb, because there's no feeling there, you, you, you're given over, Paul says, to, to sensuality, to, to pleasure, and just trying to, to find something where you can, can feel, where you can have a pleasure. And so the, the walk of the Gentile is characterized by unrestrained morality and unrestrained sexuality and its expression some are given over to the pleasure and in the sensuality of, of drug abuse and just looking for that next high because why because life is so numb and if I could just have feeling somewhere I would know that I would that I'm alive Paul goes on to describe this callousness as practicing impurity with greediness, with covetousness. I've got to have that, that, that sense of pleasure. I've got to practice what is immoral in the sense of trying to find feeling and some experience that can bring some kind of maybe momentary purpose of life. 
But the practice of impurity with greediness implies it implies that there's no regard for others and that you're going to use and you're going to take advantage of and you're going to manipulate others in this pursuit as well. So Paul, as he begins this passage in verse 17, this very practical passage, he describes the life of, of the Gentile, the, the former way of life. And then look in verse 20, but, but, he's transitioning, but, you did not learn Christ in this way. And now we're getting ready to see the good news and, and, and a new way to walk. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Well, how did you learn Christ? Two or three times in the previous, in the previous sections and chapters, Paul has talked about the dynamic, the experience of hearing the Word of God being preached and taught hearing the gospel being shared there's a dynamic there's a spiritual thing that goes on when the gospel is proclaimed when it is taught when it is read when it is shared and Paul said you learned Christ as you heard Christ being preached and taught again as your mind was not darkened but as your mind has been enlightened through the hearing of the message of God. Verses 20 through 24, he goes on. In reference to your former manner of life, in reference to the way you used to walk, learning Christ has enabled you to take off the old self. This old self which has been being corrupted through the, the lusts of your desires. This learning that you've done in Christ has enabled you to have your mind renewed. In, in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul says that we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. So Paul is saying we, we're taking off this old way and we're beginning to be renewed as our mind is being renewed. Why? As we're listening, as we're being taught and learning Christ, our mind is being renewed so that we can begin to put on, to purposely and actively put on Christ and to put on the new self as we learn about Christ. As our mind is renewed, then we begin to put Christ back on. And as we put on the new self, we discover that the new self, which is in the likeness of God, we remember from the creation story, we're all created in the image, in the likeness of God. And so Paul is reminding us that as the new creation, that once again we are created in the likeness of God. And he describes the likeness of God as, as righteousness and as, as holiness. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, I don't want to make this too, too simplified, but someone has suggested that the, the word of righteousness and being made righteous deals with our relationship with each other. A relationship between other people. To have, a, have relationships that are based on rightness. On what is good and what is right and what is just. And as we put on the new self, we are formed and, and recreated in the likeness of, of God in His rightness and in His holiness. Rightness reflecting our relationship with each other. And holiness reflecting our right relationship with God. 
And so as we put on the new self, we begin to grow and mature in right relationship with each other, but also in right relationship with God. So can you relate to this idea of of taking off, of renewing, and then of putting back on? Growing up, we lived out in the in the country a little bit, we had some acreage and, and we raised some cattle and, and so we were always having things to do outside and there were those times when I would we'd come in and we'd be just dirty, we'd be smelly, we'd be sweaty, it would just be really gross. We'd have, have dirt, we'd have, have all kinds of things all over us. Or maybe it would be winter time and we'd been outside and we'd come in and, and the, the, the ice was caked on us and, and we were dirty, we'd been in some mud and, and, and we'd come into the front door and mom would say, oh no, don't you come in here, go to the garage. Why did we go to the garage? Because she didn't want that mess in the house, right? And so you go to the garage and what do you do? You, you take off. You take off what is is. Yeah, you take off what is dirty, you take off what is smelly, and you strip it off, and you leave it there so that it can be thrown away or it can be taken care of in its own time, right? And then what? Then you, then you, then you shower. The showering is kind of that renewal, right? You feel good after a, 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 a hot shower, right? On the cold day when you've been out working. Or vice versa, you, a cool shower feels great when you've been hot and sweaty and working. And there's a renewing that takes place. And then what happens after you've renewed yourself and you've cleaned yourself? You don't go out and put on the old dirty stuff, smelly stuff again, do you? No. You put on, you purposely put on that which is clean and that which is fresh. And that which is good. And that's this picture that, that Paul is giving us here of what it means to walk in Christ. To, to, to walk in a manner worthy is that we have to purposefully take off these things the, the way of the Gentiles. We have to take it off because it's smelly and it, it stinks and it's holding us back. And so we purposely take it off. And then through the renewing of the Spirit of God... Our minds and our hearts and our lives are transformed so that we can begin then to put on, to put on that which is good and right and holy before God. This idea, this mystery of taking off, of renewing, and of putting on is the ongoing process of teaching and learning Jesus Christ. We, we never arrive. In this life, there, there's always going to be those moments where we're, we're taking off the old so that we can continue to be renewed, so that we can put on that which is good. Taking off, renewing, and putting on, I believe, describes the, the process of repentance. When we repent of, of sin, when we repent of the, the ways and the walk of the Gentiles, what we're doing is we're taking that off. We're saying, God, I confess this and, and I take this off. Now cleanse me, renew me, and allow me to put back on that which is good and righteous as I pursue you and as I pursue the new walk that you've called me to. Now look at verse 25. 
That word therefore. Therefore, because you have, have laid aside, you've taken off, therefore because your mind is being renewed and because you're beginning to put on this new self, therefore, lay aside falsehood. Lay aside speech that deceives. Lay aside action that, that's deceptive. Take off falsehood and do what? Put on truth. Speak truth to one another. He goes on. Take off stealing. Don't steal uh, anymore. And there's lots of ways we can steal, right? Taking that which is not ours. We think about you know, stealing a, a possession and thought, what about your time? What about with your employer? Well, I really only worked six hours today, but I expect him to pay me for eight. Or maybe you're, 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 you're the boss and you're not paying your employers for a full day's work. They're, they're working and they're busting their tails and you're not paying them a full day's labor. That's, that seems like it's stealing too. So we don't need to steal anymore from each other. But rather we, we work and we, we work so that we don't have to steal. We work not so that we can just take care of our own needs, but we work so that we can share with others. So that we can give to others that are having a hard time. So we walk in a manner that's worthy of Christ by speaking truth, by working hard and sharing, being generous to others. We walk in a manner worthy when we don't use our words to tear down and hurt others. But when we use our words to build up and to encourage and to speak grace into the lives of others. Oh, our words are often our greatest weapons, aren't they? And we know the exact words to hurt and to manipulate and to separate, don't we? And Paul says, don't, don't speak unwholesome words to each other. Don't speak words that tear down, but rather use your words to build up to encourage and nurture and to speak grace. Walk in a manner worthy. And then he deals with anger. He deals with anger twice. Look at verse 26. He, he says, Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. I think what, what, what's happening here is the recognition that anger is a legitimate emotion that we all deal with. In, in some sense, anger is a part of our experience as we interact and as we act and react. And so what Paul is doing is he's acknowledging that we get angry. But he says, oh, when you get angry, if you happen to get angry, don't sin. In fact, deal with that anger as quickly as you can. Deal with it before the sun goes down. Because when we, we sit on our anger, when we sleep on our anger, what, what happens? We give the devil an opportunity to wreak havoc in our lives and in our relationships. If you're going to be angry, don't sin. Deal with it right then. But then he goes down into verse, I think it's 31. And I think what he's saying in verse 31 is that we need to come to that place where we have such control, where we have such 
where we're walking in, in the way of Christ in such a deep and profound way that we can put anger aside completely and totally in its sinful expression. Put your anger aside. How many, if we were honest here today, how many of us would say that, that anger, anger is what has separated, has destroyed relationships in my life? Lay aside anger. And he goes on and he, and he tells us, he helps us to understand what some of these different areas of, of anger are. He deals with bitterness. Well, what's bitterness? Bitterness is resentment to the past. It's being angry over something that happened weeks ago or months ago or for some of you, decades ago. You're angry about something that happened Years and years ago and it still has control of your life. Lay aside that bitterness. Redeem that bitterness. Repent. And don't let that bitterness have control in your life anymore. Lay aside bitterness. Lay aside rage. There are some of you and some of us that we let rage destroy us. We, we get so angry. It's like a volcano that goes up. And we spew. And it destroys every person in its path. It destroys opportunities. It destroys lives. Why? Because we've embraced rage. Lay that aside, Paul says. What about anger? The nuance here, I think, is anger as a, a gnawing hostility. Something that, that's inside of you that you just can't lay, lay aside. When you lay down at night, it just kind of chews and, and gnaws at you. And, and the more it gnaws at your heart and your mind, the angrier you get. And, and Paul says, lay that aside. Lay that gnawing hostility aside towards that person. I guarantee you they're probably not laying aside at night thinking about it and, and being angry over it. And yet it's destroying you as it just gnaws within. He continues on, lay aside shouting, angry yelling, clamor, much like rage. Lay aside slander, which is when we abuse and vilify others with our words. Lay aside malice which is when anything that we say and do is intended to hurt and harm others. Paul says, lay these things aside. Take them off. And put them down. And through the renewing of your mind and your heart, begin to put on something new. Well, what are those? What, what's new? In verse 32. Put on kindness. Put on compassion. Put on forgiveness. What if in, in those areas where you're angry, where you're bitter, where, where anger has the day, where rage and shouting take over your life, where slander and malice are the, the tools of your heart, what if you put those off and instead you begin to put on kindness, compassion, and forgiveness? To walk in a manner worthy means that we're taking off 
these things of the Gentiles. And we're putting on these new things of God. We must put these new things on. Why? Because God in Christ Jesus put them on for us. Through Christ, God put on kindness towards us. Through Christ, God put on compassion towards us. Through Christ, God put on forgiveness towards us. Instead of the consequences and punishment that our sin deserved. Instead of putting on these things, our God has taken them off. And He's put on these other things through Christ. So that we can enjoy and experience His kindness, His compassion, and His forgiveness. And now, we are called to put those on and share them with the people of our lives. The culture in which we live. The mystery of the new self is taking off. Renewing our minds and putting on that which God has called us to put on. You see, our identity, Paul's talking to Christians, our identity is already in Christ. The taking off and putting on is how we realize what God has done in our lives. It requires both. The taking off and the putting on. The reality is, is a lot of us want to keep what's already on. And they want to try to put on what Christ wants, but it means that that dirty stuff is still underneath. So we've got to take it off and put it on as we are renewed. The new self is marked by the absence of a darkened mind, impurity, lying, slander, stealing, and anger. The new self is characterized by truthfulness, edifying speech, hard work, generosity, kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And because of this, I believe that becoming a Christian results in radical life change. And that being a Christian results in a radical break with the Gentile culture around us. So here's two questions for us as we finish our time together. Where does your life demonstrate radical life change? Where does your life demonstrate that you've taken off something so that you can put something new on? And where have you made a radical break with the culture in which we live? What if today you and I committed ourselves to the ongoing work and life and walk of taking off? Taking off that which is death and dying and smelly and committed ourselves to putting on that which is good and right and holy. Let's pray.